Hello and welcome into a new episode on the Labuba Pastors Blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today we are going to begin a study of the book of Acts. It was suggested to me by someone, and I think it's a logical book for us to go to next since we just concluded the Gospel of John. And all of the Gospels, um, all the Gospel accounts conclude in a way that anticipates the book of Acts. We come to the, the fact of Jesus' resurrection, and of course, we want to know what happens next in the narrative. So Acts is the second book addressed to most excellent Theophilus. Early church writing attributes both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts to Luke, the beloved physician, as he was called or referred to by the Apostle Paul. The title of the book is derived from the information that's contained in the book. It follows the actions of the apostles and the foundation of the early church, hence the title Acts. And many, many um, translations of it or records of it added of the apostles to the term Acts. John MacArthur writes this about the book's title. He says, the Greek word Acts, praxeus, was often used to describe the achievements of great men. Acts does not feature the notable figures in the early years of the church, especially Peter and Paul, but the book could more properly be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, since his sovereign superintending work was far, far more significant than that of any man. It was the Spirit's directing, controlling, and empowering ministry that strengthened the church and caused it to grow in numbers, spiritual power, and influence. I think the title MacArthur suggests is very appropriate when we consider the content of Acts, and it also gives us a good lens for how we approach the content of the book. The main theme of the book is the establishment of Christ's church. This is the last historical narrative book of the New Testament. The four Gospels are all narrative accounts that include much doctrinal teaching from Jesus during his, his course of ministry, but the, the Gospels follow more the narrative style or the, the, the writing style of being a narrative. And by the way, it's important that when we read Scripture, we understand what type of literature we are looking at. Sometimes opponents of scripture will quote a story that is recorded in the, in the scriptures as a way to dismiss the whole Bible when they're not taking into account that the story might not be what God wanted to have happen, and indeed it might contradict what God wanted to have happen, but he records it so that we have the information in the Bible because it, it happened. An example of that would be like if someone looked at King Manasseh, the wicked king of Judah, who, who did later repent and follow the Lord, but the Bible describes him as the most wicked of all the kings of Judah in his, in his initial uh, reigning in Jerusalem. And we're told that he sacrificed his sons to false gods, to idols. So if you were to look at that, and say, well, because it's in the Bible, therefore God's telling us we should do that. That is totally to, to totally ignore the context of what's being said and instructions that God has given that actually shows that king is living in wickedness and in violation of what God actually wanted to have happen. 
So that's just an aside note as, as we look, but it's important for us to see as we look at the book of Acts that much of this is the history of the foundation of the early church. So it's the last his historical narrative book in the New Testament. Once we get past there, from Romans on, the New Testament consists of instructions and information for the building up of the church. This makes sense when we consider this book comes on the heels of the Great Commission, which we read in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus tells us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Acts' opening statements, we read Jesus telling the, the disciples these details. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Throughout the book of Acts, we find this commission, this responsibility that we are Christ's witnesses being fulfilled. We will also see the theme of satanic opposition to the church that begins with open violence in the early part of the the church's history that we see in, in Jerusalem with persecution and open hostility. But then we'll see how Satan's opposition transitions to taking on the form of more infiltration of the church by false believers and teachers to try to corrupt the purpose of the church and lead people astray from the truth. So all of that is things that we're going to go through as we come to them in our study of this book. Theophilus was most likely a prominent Roman official since Luke refers to him as most excellent. Whether he was a believer, whether Theophilus was a believer, that Luke wrote to inform more about these events, or he was an unbeliever that Luke wanted to convert by sharing these things, we can't be sure, we can't know for sure. Luke places himself in the first person as part of Paul's traveling group beginning in Acts 16. Some suggest the book was written sometime after the fall of Jerusalem, which occurred in 70 AD. But it seems more logical to understand the book being written at the time of Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, where the book concludes. Since Luke had recorded everything in Paul's ministry up to that time, it makes sense that if he had also lived through Paul's beheading and second imprisonment, he also would have written down those details for us. And there will be some very important doctrinal information given to us as we follow the narrative. The Holy Spirit is the most abused member of the Trinity. Many people claim to be doing something in his name, or even that the Holy Spirit is the one who made them do something, when what they do and teach actually contradicts what the Holy Spirit has revealed. Thus, it will be a challenging book at times for us to study, but Lord willing, a very profitable book for us to go through. To conclude today's introduction, I will remind you of what Jesus promised about sending us the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit would do for us and for God and for the world. In John 14, verse 16 and 17, and verse 25 and 26, we read these details. 
Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Helper being the Holy Spirit. To be with you, notice this, forever. He's always with us, even the Spirit of truth. All truth comes from him. Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's a promise of the Holy Spirit being in us. And indeed, Scripture says that God has given us his Spirit as a guarantee that he will fulfill all the promises that he has made to us. These things, Jesus says, I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we see there that the Holy Spirit is our guide in all truth, which makes sense since he is the revelation of truth. He's called the Spirit of truth. And he's also the one that causes us to remember God's word in the moments that we need it. In John 16, verses 7 and 8, and from verse 10 to 14, Jesus continues, saying, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We will see what Jesus predicts about the Holy Spirit ministering to us and through us, coming true as we read this book of Acts. In Ephesians 2, we read this good summary of the historical but also present reality in us, the body of Christ, being involved in this, this process of what God is doing. In Ephesians 2, from verse 19 to 22, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I look forward to this study. God bless you all.